Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about product management and more. We can touch the topic about user experience. Experience. Uh, it's interesting that many years ago I didn't consider a lot user experience. I was wrong because at that point in time uh, Google ranked almost all my websites, but things change with many updates and today I pay a lot of attention uh, with the topic user experience. I learn more and I care a lot about customers because because if you can satisfy your customers, you can win in the long run. Uh, and today, I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Christian Kramlich. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for me, it's a big pleasure. I check out your profile. You have extended experience. I want to know more. Before we start, just <laughs> tell more about your background experience and why you decided to share with us about this topic. I mean, you know, at a, at a high level, I've, I've spent now... I guess most of my working life with with internet technology for the first half of it doing U, UX user experience related jobs of one kind of another or another information architect content strategist interaction designer design manager design director things like that you know um, but for the second half the last last ten or so years um, I've been in product roles product leadership roles doing product management so I've been at big bigger companies in the older days like AOL and Yahoo uh, worked on AIM. Also, in, I spent a lot of time working on startups. I was the head of product at a mental health startup called Seven Cups for four years. I've more recently been working with government projects like the COVID website for the state of California. Um, but along the way, I found that there's a, there are a number of other people who have, like me, something of a UX or design background, but also some interest in this idea of product management. And there's a shared uh, interest. Uh, product managers and UX designers and researchers all are really obsessed, like you said, with the customer, with the experience of the customer. The, the, in the end, you yeah. realize it doesn't matter what you make or how cool your your visuals are, or 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 even your features or your what are your your offering of your service, the quality of your content. None of that really matters if you haven't figured out what people need and you're not speaking their language and and kind of showing up where they need you to be. You can be great, but they don't they don't find you. They're not you're not there when you need them. You you use language they don't use, so. It all comes down to that, you know, like being obsessed with the customer or the, the end user, the person you're trying to satisfy. And then all the other things are skills you learn about how to do that. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Love it. I remember when Jeff Bezos uh, talked about that, uh, many businesses are obsessed about competitors, but Amazon is obsessed about customers. <laughs> so they're customer oriented and they uh, suggest for everyone. Uh, it's not like forget competitors, no way, but think more about customers, how you can help them, how you can uh, satisfy their intent, how you can decide their problems, uh, support them, because, yeah, many things how you can uh, do it. And uh, can you tell uh, about how to learn customers today? You mentioned that you need to understand customers, but mm -hmm. I always see companies use online data, uh, the average data from studies or uh, from online tools, but it's the average and uh, each case is different. Even two companies uh, can sell one product, but uh, have their strong sides and unique selling proposition. Uh, so uh, it's better to learn customers. Can you tell how to do it? How to, how to, how to do what? How to learn customers. How to learn customers. How to 
learn customers. How to learn them? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. How, how to understand them and understand the needs. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So I'm trying to say what you meant by learning. I'm Ukrainian, no worries. No, I understand. <laughs> and it's perfectly good to, to, to get the equivalent. I actually like uh -huh. always to hear how other people, other languages work, you know, and, and the mm -hmm. way you put the words together. Um, I think that the, the, so there's a, you know, probably at the highest level, there's, um, it get, things get broken down into like quantitative and qualitative or numbers and more like words, numbers and ideas, you know, and, and, and subjective things. Numbers are presented as more objective. If you have empirical data, then that's sometimes a little bit stronger evidence than we talked to some people and we got the impression that they want this or that. You could say, well, we tried offering it and no one, no one clicks on it. So your impression is fine, but the data is showing that it's not true. Um, ha having said that, the qualitative, subjective, talking to people, looking at information, trying to put the picture together from a lot of different sources of information is as important as the, the sort of numerically driven stuff. And just because you have data doesn't mean that it really tells you why something is true or whether that will continue to be that way or whether there's a real opportunity there. So, so in a sense, when you're trying to understand customers, as you said, I mean, it's not really any one person, it's a type of person or it's a, enough people who share enough things in, in common that you can make a, a living selling them something, some service or, or product of some kind online. Um, it, it, you know, on some level you have to profile them. You have to understand them. You have to have, you know, user experience, designers make things called personas. And, and I, I, you can argue whether personas are a good or bad tool. I'm not a huge user of personas myself. Even when I was a UX designer, I didn't love them that much, but they do serve a purpose because they force you to talk about prototypical types of users and understand what they're like. Oh, they're typically in this age range and they don't have this much time and they have kids or they don't have kids or they're worried about their budget or they're not, or, you know, they're, they're, they're worried about their getting their shopping done, you know, like you kind of have an understanding of that person on some level that ought to be informed by real world interviews, actual data, maybe government data, maybe publicly available data, maybe your own research. And then once you have products actually in the world, whether it could be, I mean, in a sense, you know, like even literally the YouTube channel or the streaming is a product. You want people to come, you want to, your numbers, you want them to go up. You want to continue to have the attention that you get. Like once you're actually in the wild, in the public, then you have real world data on top of all your other research about what might work and we should build something. People, I hope people like this. I think they will. It makes sense to me. Once you start to merchandise it, package it, put it out there onto the marketplace, people vote. They, 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 and you can say, well, no one heard about it or it was a bad week or whatever. There's always maybe a reason that's fine. To try to fix that thing. So after a while, you're in a dialogue with the actual customers and not just like theoretical customers and you're trying to meet their needs and understand them better. And sometimes you can ask them questions. They give you their email, they sign up, they register. Yeah. Um, at that point, and not to just keep talking, but you know, there's a point where you have to continue thinking about people who aren't your customers yet. Because once you have customers mm -hmm. and you talk to them, which is great because not everybody even really talks to their customers, but if you do learn from existing real people using whatever you, you offer, um, that's so good, that's so valuable, it's almost intoxicating, but it can make you forget that there may be whole other types of people out there who don't know about what you do or haven't found it yet or don't get it. Um, and you may learn nothing about them by just focusing on people who already are there, already made it to the party, you know, already found the way in. And so you may need new strategies to get that next layer of the onion and the one after that and the one after that, which doesn't mean you stop looking at your core people, your early adopters, your, your people. Now you, you do want to keep them loyal and learn from them and, and, and focus on them to some degree, but not to the exclusion of other possible growth opportunities. 
Yeah, nice, nice. So valuable. Okay, let's talk about another issue that I often see uh, from my customers uh, and many websites. Uh, you know, uh, many of them are trying to sell a lot of products from one page. You know, they mm -hmm. submit like in the home page uh, almost all their catalogs products, mm -hmm. but many customers hate it. Uh, yeah. They uh, are not satisfied uh, to get uh, all products because it, it confused uh, when you open the page and see many uh, different products. You don't know what to yeah, click, what yeah. to learn. So uh, I think simplicity works well if you uh, simplify content. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and it's a temptation. Yeah. I mean, you understand how it gets this way, right? Because there's a competition to get, like, I want my product featured on the front page of our company's website, and so does somebody with a different line of business in the company. And so it's like in the early days of commercial websites, they often had like, it was just the navigation was all the VPs fighting for some page on the website. It wasn't based on the user, what they expect, what they're looking for, how they think or anything like that. So often you compromise by having just too much, you say yes to everybody and everything's up front. But I think we already know that people, um, you know, more choices make people actually buy less. You know, they, they, it, I, it seems contradictory. You think, well, we'll give them more, then we'll get the second and third choice sales too. But you start to get people saying, oh, I'm not sure, now I can't decide, or oh, this, I'll come back later when I have time to research these questions. Or, you know, it just starts to overload people cognitively. And there's a little bit of math on this, but it's also sort of common sense if you think about it. Um, there's a equivalent that happened, like I said, back in my Yahoo days, I wasn't on the team but the people who put the ads on the on the email program, they they had to sort of fight back against the fact that the ads had started to take over. I don't know if you remember what Yahoo Mail was like maybe 10, 15 years yeah. ago, but something on the side, something on the top, something on the bottom. And they couldn't even always sell valuable ads. So you get a lot of rotten teeth or belly fat or five quick trips, tricks to save whatever. And um, as you can imagine, a lot of these were just what they call run of show ads that just are like they'll just are a run of network. They just go anywhere to fill in the gaps and they're worth almost nothing. And that was creating a terrible user experience where the actual email was getting less and less real estate. And most of the ads were poor quality ads. What does that say about the brand? And but the, so the ad team had to do some research, some data and then some experiments to fight back and finally say, will actually make more money if we have one good classy banner ad and that's it, or you know whatever they, they, they move to at that point. But there's a, that pattern happens again and again, the overflow, you know, the sort of like growing, yeah. growing, growing too much stuff and then realizing, you know, we're just like, now we're selling nothing. We got to pick the featured thing of the month and you know, show that or even two choices makes me uncomfortable sometimes. That's already too much. <laughs> yeah, got it, got it. Uh, okay, uh, what about personalization? You know, um, uh, once I asked one customer why you submitted a lot of products uh, in homepage and he replied to me, uh, he tried to replicate Amazon. But you know, Amazon can sell a billion products and uh, Amazon has data to personalize products. For example, they know my habits, they know what kind of uh, items I'm mm -hmm. going to buy. So they share something that might be interesting for me. So if you have no this data, if you have no uh, a loyal loyal customer, uh, loyal customers, a lot of them, so it's better to simplify content. And can you tell about personalization? How it's important today to personalize experience? Uh, uh, for example, if I learn customers and I am going to add on the products that might be interest to them and uh, yeah, more about personalization. Sure, sure. No, I, I think I hear what you're getting at. I mean, you make an interesting point right up at the beginning, which is that sometimes to imitate another successful product, 
isn't going to work uh, mainly either because um, you may not understand why they do it or how they do it exactly, just what it looks like, what it appears to be. Um, and uh, as you point out, you may not be in the same position as that company. You may not have the same volume of traffic. You may not have the same amount of data to work with to make recommendations or things like that. So I think um, personalization is a kind of a cool thing you know, that, that um, sound, and it sounds cool. Um, and there's definitely some contexts where it adds value. I think I would think of it as something like it's what you do when you've exhausted how much value you can get out of a basic offering that satisfies most people. Like if you haven't got that right yet, adding mm -hmm. a bunch of personalizations and saying, well, people will make their own sandwich and they'll figure out what they want. Like that's not actually design or product, you know, focus. That's just giving up, you know? So at some point, you have to say, we think there's a main idea that we can describe to people. It's not build your own bicycle. It's a bicycle. It has two wheels. So yes, maybe it has, you get to, you get to choose the color, but you know, it's, it's a basic set of features that people understand, basic functionality, we solve a problem. And then, yeah, once you start to say, hey, we've, we've now got so many users that they fall into slightly different categories and it would be easy. And some of them want feature X, but a lot of them don't like that. They like it the way it is now. And then to say, okay, let's recognize that certain types of people, we either detecting by their behavior or letting them opt in, want to have a different, you know, a personalized, you know, like something that's more tailored to their needs, a feature change or something offered to them. That's a road you can go down. It adds complexity. You have to maintain it. It's like something like patching software. You know, you now have two versions of everything or a configurable set of things that have to be tested all the time. So, you know, it, it can pay its own way offering personalization, but it's a fairly mature thing to offer on often, you know, a, a, a product line or a feature set that's already kind of um, uh, dealt with the major issues of figuring out, you know, its market and, 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 it, and its main purpose and its value and kind of it's, it's, it's now looking to eke out improvements on top of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, let's talk about, um, uh, I want to get back a little bit to simplicity. You know, mm -hmm. when I open apple.com, I, I can see only a few quotes uh, without any text, like uh, make difference, iPhone, and something like this. Uh, uh, but uh, in most cases, I get uh, nice looking pictures. Uh, iPhone uh, on the first visible screen, so I can see iPhone. If I scroll down, I can see another iPhone. Very simple, uh, but... Uh, uh, I see when websites add a lot of text, you know, uh, probably it's good for some user experience, for some products, for uh, some projects, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But can you tell how to find uh, the balance, uh, how many words to write? Because, you know, I, I, I still get this question. Uh, how many words to write, you know, how many words to submit, how many articles to publish. And Google usually uh, denies uh, words counting on their algorithms. Uh, mm, but uh, anyway, yeah. uh, if you want to satisfy user experience, can you tell uh, how to find the balance between writing a lot or writing less uh, when you uh, create? A, let, let's yeah, yeah. You, you get into some interesting points, too, because there are sometimes the attempt to extend or stretch the content or reuse it does get you like in trouble with Google or it makes it look like you're creating content farms or something like that just to, to capture traffic. And in some ways people complain that's what Google is just becoming more and more often. If you search, you just find dynamic pages that, that are built to capture your search yeah. and they're not really anything valuable. But aside from that, I think you're making sort of a deeper point, which is that the, the, the thing that attracts even, even you know, search engine traffic or in general, 
gives people value when they're say visiting your website is to have plain language, you know, easy to understand language that is um, uh, as simple as possible, you know, and, it, mm -hmm. and the least the least you can get away with. What I wouldn't, what I what I'd say at the same time is that it's very important. The content's very important. In some ways, it's more important than the design, the visual design, the the logo, the look of things, which those those matter. The established brand and credibility and style and taste and the, the, you know everything matters, but. In the end, to try to, especially on a website or any kind of online thing, you know, the 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 words that tell you the names of the buttons, the 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 language of the of the software, you know, like what things are called, um, the the explanations and the help that that all that is going to actually like that's actually more of the interface than anything else. So getting that part right is important and and deserves a lot of attention, but I think it's important to also keep it limited you know, not overload people. People don't like to read a lot. It's not like a book. They just want to know what to do and then do a thing. They don't want to like hear the story, the history of why you did it or all the reasons why it's good. You can bury things. There's certain people who go looking. I want to know the truth. Tell me what this all is. So down two or three links in your site, you can have, you know, the, the ancient history of your project and everything about it and all the interesting references for geeks who are really into that thing. But you don't want to lead with that. You're going to scare other people away. Um, the simplicity you talk about, often people point to like, say, Apple's this great prototype, a very white site, when they've got something, a product, only one on the screen at a time, or you're focusing on, you're just looking at iPads, or you, whatever it is. And and they definitely get that idea of simplicity and focus and not overwhelming people. Because it's not, you know, it's not like you don't have any guarantee of people's attention. They can leave at any time, you know, so you can't just over, you can't flood people with a wall of information or assume they're going to look at all your examples you kind of have to figure you get one shot, you know, like, like you got to make one thing count. And um, if people like it, they may keep going and you'll get additional shots. But if you think the way to do that is to, is to go blah, 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 and give them 93 things on the screen at once or, or lots and lots of words to read or, or links to make their way through, then you're just kind of like making it harder to see that one thing that they, that they might want to grab. Yeah. Nice, nice, love it. Okay, uh, let's talk about reading a lot. Uh, I can't avoid one one question because I see on your background a lot of books. You know, my passion is to read books. And uh, I can uh, spend a lot of time with that uh, if I have it, of course, uh, many other things to do. But I love reading books and I usually sacrifice my time with other hobbies because of reading books. Can you tell what kind of books you like, how they can help you? And uh, possible you can list some books that you recommend to mm -hmm. listeners mm -hmm. now. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's a it's hard sometimes to rattle off names of books. Things may come to me and 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 even afterward, maybe I can uh, send you something to attach. But uh um, I would say that, you know, I grew up reading books in a time when like that, those, there weren't as many other options, you know, like I couldn't mm -hmm. have read, there was no internet to read all day long. There was no Wikipedia or whatever. And books were my like way to learn about the whole world. So um, that's important to me on some level where even though I've got shelves full of books, these are mostly of the past. Like I'm rarely pulling a book off one of these shelves and consulting it. Uh, and half of them are novels over there, but there's a, there's a bunch of, you know, work in business related books. Um, you know, I, 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 obviously I should be plugging my own book product management for UX people, which came out from Rosenfeld media. Rosenfeld publishes a lot of good books about user experience and related subjects. So just as a press, I recommend them as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a, a, an author and a friend of mine, uh, he wrote the foreword for my book named Matt LeMay, 
who's a very good product management uh, like consultant and writer um, who just did a second edition of his book. And unfortunately, I don't have the name of the book. It's like product management in practice or something like that. Uh, I should I should look it up. But Matt LeMay is his name. Um, just on the sort of main themes of product management and UX, those are some of the, the ones to hit. Um, but in some ways, I'd say that, that uh, uh, you know, it, it's a, it can be fun to read books that are professional development or teaching you a technique or learning the language of some sort of business area or something so you can get into it. Like that's all great personal development and opportunity kind of based stuff. But, and, and so maybe I might be speaking a little bit from privilege here, um, but in some ways I think it's things like the novels that I read, maybe the science fiction mm -hmm. novels, but also other novels. And uh, some of the just more open-ended exploratory reading like I've done of history, you know, wanting to know what happened with the Eastern Roman Empire or, or China or something like that that didn't come up in school very much for me. Um, those things have sort of stretched my mind and made me understand people and think about the way things could be and, and things like that that I think help in the work of make, you know, making software, making digital projects, make it, making things online, making online, digital experiences. Um, it's not a direct thing, obviously. You can't say, go read this novel and then you're going to make a better website next week. But it's more like the humane side of understanding people, which is kind of at the root of a lot of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. I agree with that. Uh, yeah, if you read books, you can get ideas, you know, you can uh, use them, you know, in, many, uh, in various situations. Okay, yeah. let's, uh, let's talk about uh, product management. Can you tell where to start? For example, uh, 10 years ago, uh, even more, 12 years ago, I uh, launched my online shop and I hired a copywriter who was an editor, who was content manager, who was a designer, who was a content manager. Um, he, he did everything. And mm -hmm. that worked well, you know, Google ranked our websites. So uh, he could write, edit, uh, design, many things. But things change. Of course, uh, today yeah. it's better to have a team who one uh, can write a great text, uh, second can edit them. Uh, I have a designer, I have a content manager. Even more, I have someone who uh, check out and uh, analyze the bug testing, you know, because uh, these errors appeal uh, from nowhere. I don't know how they mm -hmm. appeal, but yeah, I, we got them a lot. So uh, uh, we have web developers who can optimize content. Can you tell about product management? How to start sure. learning about that? Yeah. I mean, in that model, I think one thing is sometimes to think about, uh, are you already doing product management de facto? Like, like, is that maybe not by that name, but of the things that would be done by a product manager in a product management approach, you know, how are those things getting done now? For instance, it might be that your designer, your ex designer is doing some of that conceptualizing how everything connects to each other. And it might be that people on the team are doing some research or, or doing some, you know, understanding the customer's kind of work that a product manager might do. Might be that some of the work of focusing what to, what to develop next and, and what's, the most, what's the best thing to work on technically to solve a problem. Maybe the engineering team is, is self-empowered and, and kind of has product ownership in the sense that you just tell them, hey, I, I trust y'all. I just needed something that will do that will solve this problem. And they come back and say, okay, we, we figured it out. Here's the way. Versus an approach where you say, I need you to build me a specific tool. Here's what it needs to look like. And, and you give them all tickets to work on. So it might be that they're acting like a product team and that the whoever's 
helping them sort out and prioritize. It might be you. Sometimes the leader, the person that, at the forefront of the project is, a pro is an owner or some sort of product lead de facto, the one who makes the tough calls on, look, we can't do everything, so let's do this for now, and then later on we'll do that. That's, that's the work of the product manager often is to, to say, look, of all the great things that are possible, we, we, we don't have infinite time and money, so we have to do the most important things and the most, you know, most urgent things, but also the other important things that aren't urgent yet that will later on be urgent. Um, and then we'll be, hopefully we'll be successful and we'll have more time and we can do some of those other things we also want to do. But that's, you know, it's hard to say that when everything on its own seems like a good thing. So that's that providing that discipline. So you might sometimes say, okay, we already have that. We just do it. We distribute those different roles among different people on the team now. Um, sometimes you can say, well, well, we'll just, the person who's doing most of that, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just realize they're kind of functioning also as a product manager and just maybe, you know, give them some more things to do like that if that's what they want to do. Or you could say, um, we don't do that. We're not getting enough of the benefit of what a product manager could offer, meaning like we're not necessarily focused or we're not agile enough, but still focused at the same time. We're not making roadmaps or we're not, uh, we're not talking to customers enough, even though we maybe have a designer or things like that. So in that case, you might say you're going to create a new role or possibly migrate an existing person into a role of being dedicated to those functions, even though maybe today some of those functions are paid attention to by some people, but you could say, you know, well, we could do better if we said we're going to use this product lens. We're going to say we're making a product and the product has to like get into the market. People need to, they need to want it. They need to discover it. They need to like it. They need to keep using it, tell their friends. And we got to measure whether that's happening or not, both like in the marketplace, like are we selling, but also inside the digital product, are people making it all the way to the conversion point are they buying or are they signing up or subscribing or whatever is considered a win um we need to look at that data be honest about whether it's working run experiments that will try to like improve you know the key data um you know so, so there's a if you decide you want to take that approach of saying we're going to treat what we're doing like a product and we're going to try to 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 improve its match with the market until it's really delivering and really being absorbed and used by a lot of people who would be sad if it went away you know, then we have fit and we can start to really deliver and improve on that, that foot in the door. Um, you know, th that's when you might say, yeah, we think a product management approach on top of everything else we're doing is justified. And again, we'll, we'll deputize somebody on the team to be that product lead and to be responsible for those things, or we'll create a role for that and hire a product manager or, or promote a, or, or cross, you know, change it, someone on the team now into that and replace them, backfill them or something like that. That's often the way you start doing it. I mean, a lot of my consulting is with, businesses that are introducing a product management role for the first time, like their first product person and being told usually sometimes they're a startup. So they've got an advisor or investor saying you aren't, your product isn't good enough. Your product isn't focused. You need product, but they don't know what it means exactly. So they're asking me, they think they maybe want to hire me. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't afford me. And you don't really need me. You need a good product manager and I can help you find one but you don't need an expensive old person who like charges a lot for their hours and things like that. Not about age, but you know, just level of experience. And, um, but I can give advice to a company like that. I can say, I can help you define the role. I can help you figure out what you need actually in the way you're doing it now, you know, but often it's about shifting over from a project mentality, like the old death March of like waterfall project. You just, did you hit the Gantt chart? Did you hit the dates or not? You know, are we behind or are we on time um, to a more iterative 
results outcome oriented approach where you're just like constantly checking to see how you're doing and adjusting the plan and making new plans rather than being locked into your original idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, can you tell how to find a good product manager? Because you mentioned that uh, you can help to find some good product manager. And uh, let's talk about hiring, how to find the right product manager, because we, we have many. Uh, I, I don't want to tell that uh, they are bad or mediocre. So, yeah, uh, yeah it depends. But uh, can you tell how to find the best product manager? Yeah, I mean, well, that's sort of a, a million dollar question, right? Because it's kind of like just, gen I mean, it's how to find good anything is hard. But but I think that it starts with, with, with um, I think the beginning is to actually um, develop a point of view for your own business or enterprise, whatever it is, uh, about product management. Because as you say, there's a lot of good and bad product managers out there. There's a, And that's not because, not just because there's a lot of rogues, you know, people just practicing because they're, bad it's often because there's a lot of bad product management organizations out there creating bad product managers you know training them yeah. in bad ways and then sending them to other places um and partly because it's a new discipline and it's not well learned and it's not even 100 agreed upon across the board what it should be like you're hearing my opinion how i think it should be and i would always be the first one to to acknowledge that you know, your results may differ. Like there's a lot of, a lot of people not practicing product management the way I think it ought to be. Um, and I always like to make that distinction. Um, so you're right. And like, if you're looking to hire product managers to make sure that you're not getting people who have the title and who say certain buzzwords, but then are, don't seem to get the, the real underlying kind of uh, mindset needed, which I'd call again, the sort of a more outcome oriented mindset where you can talk about, we did this, and then this happened and it maybe wasn't what we wanted, but we learned something from that. So then we did another thing and that happened and we learned this. And then eventually we did this and it worked really well. Like, like you want to hear stories like that versus like I executed, I shipped, you know, we were agile and we did all these sprints and we hit the deadlines and it was a success. You know, like that's not, that's a very different story from how you, what was the success? What was the outcome and how did you get there? So, so in terms of like, say, looking on someone's resume or how they describe themselves or how you interview them, you sort of try to sift on that level. But again, like I said, I think, first of all, you have to say, well, what kind of product managers do we have at our, do we want to have if we don't have any yet? Or do we have already? What's our way? What's our practice? And if, let's say, you agree with me that, that product managers um, don't have to be all powerful, but they are there to keep people focused on outcomes and 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 to be very honest about whether things, you know, what's the data really telling you, and to be there to help the team, you know, uh, continually work on on improving and and and, and addressing each problem as it comes up, um, uh, you know, and leveraging design and and understanding the technological constraints and still finding the best path forward uh, towards the goal. Um, if you if you want people if you want that kind of role. Then you you need to define it in your in your in your job description in your duty statement and however you kind of create that sort of thing, and again then when you look we try to recruit people you want to describe the job that way so it selects for people not just who've had the title or who think they want to be a product manager but who want to be this kind of product manager because like for instance if they want to be a tyrannical boss who just gets to make all the decisions and and they decide what's on the roadmap and they decide what's in the sprint and they decide what ships you know, and they, but they don't want to start their own company or whatever. 
then this might not be the job for them. You know, like you might want to describe the job to make it clear that like, this is not that kind of a product manager. You're, this is a collaborative job that's about helping the team do its best work, where, where if you do it really well, you're almost invisible. You know, it's, it's a, that, so if you've got a, like a, a clear, almost like an internal description of like a great product manager at this company does, or at this, at this institution or organization, you know, provides these kinds of things, focus on outcomes and, 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 you know, honest, you know, like clear looking at actual empirical evidence about what's working and what's not, and an iterative process that's constantly shifting based on what's being learned and a couple of things like that, then that's what you filter for in your hires. And it's, and they don't have to therefore be people all, I mean, the greatest thing is someone who has been a successful product manager in that style somewhere else. And if those people exist, they're valuable. You have to pay a lot for them probably, but they, they definitely can do the job you want. The other kinds of people you get are people who've done adjacent things or equivalent or similar things under different titles and they're ready to become a product manager but you have to take a chance on them they're going to be doing it for the first time uh, with you which is harder sometimes because it means you need to have a better idea of what you want you can't just count on them delivering it all because they've done it before and they know the ropes um so you know it's a long way of saying that there there is no simple formula i think that this is how you get the best people but i think that you get a mirror back of what you put out there. So if you say we're this kind of, we're a product, we're, we take product seriously here. We think product management means, you know, whatever, whatever, whether it's something like what I would say of like a customer focus and being really obsessed with like delivering value to the customer and then, you know, uh, learning how to do that and, 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 and creating products and services that meet people's needs and th things like that. If, if that's what it's all about, then that's what you're asking people. That's what you're telling people you're looking for. And that's who you're recruiting for. That's who people applying for you, you know, should see in the, mirror, in the mirror when they look. And if they say, that's not me, you don't want them. Some people say, oh, yeah, that's me because I want a job and this is a cool title. You've got to clearly weed out the wannabes from the people who really get it. But you have to know what it is first. And it may not be the same it as it would be for me, but you have to know what yours is. You know, it might be more flavored by things that your work is about that are more specific. Um, I don't think you always need people who've done your industry or your vertical before. It's nice if they have and can talk it. You don't have to train them on that stuff. Um, but I think for product work, it's more do they get how to do product than, than do they get how to do the particular kind of industry that you're in. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice, uh, valuable. Yeah, long reply and uh, a lot of valuable insights. Okay, I have the question about optimization. Uh, for example, I remember uh, uh, I watched interview uh, with Bill Gates, and he shared how he uh, handles the business. For example, if he has uh, product A and product B, and he uh, invested uh, X amount of money to product A and X amount of money to product B. If product B sells two times more, the next time he doubles uh, investment to product B and mm -hmm. uh, don't uh, and doesn't invest anything to product A because of optimization mm -hmm. uh, investment he can uh, earn uh, he can earn a lot more uh, and I see when companies uh, you know when they have a lot of products they are trying to manage all of them and they forget about priorities uh, because 20% uh, uh, of products can bring 80% uh, of revenue. Can you tell about optimization? Uh, because, you know, product managers often get a lot of things to do, many products, big online shop uh, with 10,000 uh, products. It's hard. It's hard to check out everything, you know, to analyze because uh, from my experience, I can 
analyze a few pages a day, you know, if we are talking about real quality. But mm -hmm. if you need to check out 10,000 pages, pages, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Can right. you tell about priorities? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because you're, you're making me think of a couple things, um, you know, about th this idea of like optimization. Um, I mean, on the one hand, you have... Uh, um, I'm trying to say sorry, I'm losing my train of thought because I'm thinking of two different things at once. Um, start, start, phrase the question again just to, to trigger. My uh, how, how to optimize uh, product management if you have a lot of products, a lot of items? Uh, so, yeah, oh, yes, you... yes, and that, I'm, yeah. that, that's it. So, so <laughs> that, I, I realize why I want to go two different directions. The first thing, maybe just to put a pin in it, is that you make a really important point about how people often have trouble ending something or taking it off the table, you know, like somehow product people and a lot of people are often focused on shipping deliver, you know, shipping is a big victory. I get that. It, it, launch day is great. I like to take a product, a, a project that people have been working on and it, and it launches and it's, you shipped it and the whole team celebrates and, and that's a good thing. There's nothing like wrong with feeling good about that, but, um, because that feels good and telling people this, this product has reached the end of its life or it's not really valuable enough for us to keep investing in it. So we're going to take it down. We're going to have to tell some of the customers who like it that they can't use it anymore or that we're not supporting it or fixing it anymore. All those kinds of things. Those are all like not as fun. You know, like that's telling somebody they're not getting a raise. They're not getting a promotion. It's not the fun part of the job, but it's an important part of the job. So it's not surprising that you get a lot of product managers who love launching stuff and some who love like even taking successful products, but making them better, you know, like, like a, they don't necessarily want the risk of a startup, but they want to just get in there and, and optimize something to get back to your main point to, to find the best version of the thing that they're working on right now. But you make a really strong point about how there's this third skill that I think product managers, it might be interesting to like really almost like specialize in that. Cause I think it's like being the undertakers, you know, no one wants to be the undertaker, but the, that you never go out of business because it's, it's a, things are always ending and finishing and needing to be put down and, and taken off. Um, uh, so to take it closer to what your original point, or that was more of just an example, that is one of the forms of optimization that people struggle with is, is taking, you know, like reducing clutter, uh, you know, not letting every experiment you ever did keep running forever. And so the, the example with, uh, so like the, I think the Bill Gates example, in some ways was a very grand version of a, a B test. You know, we, we put some of the money on A and some of the money on B, B, B won the test. So we kill A and we do B, you know, and, we'll, and, yeah. and, and, and that's a, and so that's a, that's clearly on some very like black and white level, smart and wise and, of course, do the thing that costs more money. I mean, life is sometimes more complicated and there's things that could be like kindled in different ways and, and all of that. So, so um, but I think that on a high level, that's that's an important thing to do. The, the, the trick is again, to say, we got to pull the plug on that B, you know, not like keep it around just in case, but to make those tough decisions and, and sometimes pull things out. Um, that kind of, if you, if you now bring it back down <clears throat> to the level of saying, I've got a product in the field, but I want to optimize it. I want to get, you know, I'm, I want to convert more people right now. Only 10% of the customers pay the premium sign up fee and I'd like to make more money. How do you do that? Then um, there's a, you know, then there's that optimization around a goal where you say, okay, we're going to measure this goal and benchmark it. And we're going to try to keep track of how many variables we think are involved. Like how many people are entering the top of the funnel 
and then have what percentage of them are making it all the way through to the point of converting and then what those absolute numbers are um, and and then other factors like what else they did and what else you know about them and things like that. you have a lot of possible variables um, and then you potentially come up with hypotheses like uh, and hypothesis is funny hypothesis I don't know how well that translates because it's a Greek word used in English sounds fancy and it pretty much just means like an idea, an idea about why I think this is why. Maybe it's because nobody likes yellow, you know, like, 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 or like some just like it can be a very good hypothesis, a very raw hypothesis, but hypothesis just means like a, a supposition, like it's something you're wondering. Maybe this is maybe the explanation is this. Um, because, like I said, data tells you what's happening. Oh, the numbers are good, they're bad, they're, they're, they're 1.1, there's some exact fact but not why, why do 1.1% of the visitors eventually pay? You know, we think it's because whatever, well, the price is this and they want that and whatever, you come up with a theory of that. Then you test it and like, what would get people, what would get some more people to convert? What if we change the price? What if we change the offer? What if we reduce the number of steps? What if we let them try it for free first? You know, what if we have a sliding scale of price? You know, what if we have more offerings? There's a lot of different things you could try and you can't do them all because your engineers have to be <coughs> already busy doing other stuff or they, they don't have all day to do every experiment. So you, you rank them and score them, you prioritize them based on what you think has the best potential. And then you run experiments. You, you offer a variation or you try a new thing and you see how it performs compared to what you had before. I mean, there's various ways to do this kind of thing, but, but, um, and the beauty of that is that sometimes you get no benefit. You know, like the thing you tried is your hypothesis was not valid. Like, no, it wasn't yellow. People love yellow. Yellow was not the problem at all. But now we can rule that one out. You know, we can stop playing around with the color. That wasn't the issue. Let's work on the next thing. Other times you get a win. You're like, hey, you know, we tried a yellow button. Everybody loves the yellow button and, and actually doubled conversions. So we'll keep that one. You know, and, and, and the thing is you keep the winners. You, you, you drop the losers. You keep the winners. And so little wins add up, a little 5% here, 10% here, 2x there when you're lucky. And, and you do that a couple of times and suddenly you're you're talking real number gains. So that's another form of optimization where sort of like a, a team will focus really, really closely on some key goal or metric that there's a target for. And then it's still that same method of saying, What's it, what, what is this number? Is it getting better? No. Okay. Then what we're doing isn't working. Let's try something else. Is that working? No. Okay. And, and, and you keep experimenting until something finally makes a difference. But I've seen it work. Like I mentioned the Seven Cups, which is this mental health company. It was a free product. Most people could just use it and get support from a volunteer who would just chat with them anonymously and listen to their problems and be, be you know, helpful. And that for a lot of people, 80%, like you mentioned, I think 20% of people were, you know, were, 20% of the features give 80% of the benefit or is that kind of thing. Like 20% of therapy is just somebody listening, but that gives 80% of the benefit to most people or something like that. But for some people, they need more. They want more. They have a bigger problem. They want a professional. So we started having a, a way to, 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 to people to pay for a therapist and get a real you know professional to listen to their problems and give advice or whatever. Um, and we were converting a certain percent, but it, you know, it, was, it was good, but it wasn't quite enough to, to break even as a company. So we had a task force that was in that way that I described very much focused on how can we improve the conversion rate of initial signups and also how long people stay and the quality of the, all the variables that could, that could raise the revenues on, on the subscriptions that, that was supporting the business. And by iterating like that, like sprint over sprint, choosing the best experiments that we thought we could do and running them, 
and then taking the wins and, 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 and backing away from the losses. I don't remember exactly the time frame, but over the course of maybe two quarters, um, we got something that was like shaky up to the point where it was financially helping the company, made the company break even, you know, make, meet payroll just from that revenue. Basically, just not to throw numbers around, but it was basically like, uh, imagine something, this is equivalent, going from about a 1% to about a 1.5%, you know, which is, doesn't seem like a lot, but that's a 50% improvement in what the old conversion rate was. And, and so that was a, a fair number of additional subscriptions, you know, and, and enough to make the difference. But it was that, it wasn't like we had one plan and we just spent months doing it. There were probably six or seven or eight critical things that were tried and some of them didn't help, but a lot of them, you know, enough of them did. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, sometimes, by the way, for me, intuition, uh, as you mentioned, like hypothesis, intuition, you know, uh, uh, sometimes uh, works better than logic, you know, because yeah. nobody knows what actually works. And I don't like to overlearn, you know. Uh, okay, okay, I can spend a lot of time by research, but uh, when you spend this time, uh, you can't take risk, you know, you can't uh, go ahead uh, to uh, check uh, these things out, you know, it depends. So, and I love experiments, I love uh, uh, just, uh, you know, to test something. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and as you say, I, I mean, this is a way to de-risk sometimes too. Like, one of the biggest risks is that you'll, you'll make a plan and spend a, and spend a lot of money on engineers and designers and build something and find out that not enough people want it or something else is better or you know whatever all the reasons why why a feature or product may fail <laughs> sometimes you could learn that without doing all the work by making a prototype or by pretending that you have the feature and seeing how many people click on it you know or doing kind of a simple non-coded version of it that you just do manually on the back end but just to find out if people want it or a no, a no code version made out of existing modules like there's a, a lot of these different attempts where you can you can test whether an idea and you you don't want to and another thing is you can't experiment all the time on everything you do have to take risks and you can't de-risk everything and not everything's equally risky um just like you can't do user research about every single choice you're ever going to make in a product i love user research and i come from a ux background user experience background so the idea of researching and talking to the users is very, very critical in my mind. But I know there's sometimes where you have to say, let's just do this idea. We like this idea. We'll see very quickly if people like it or not. So you're often gauging, like, is this an important enough or risky enough moment that we need to do desk research or do field research or look at some numbers and crunch them? And Or is this a case where we can just go, like you say, with intuition or insight or you know, hey, I've been at this for a while and I think I know what I need to do. Like, that's okay too. We're, you know, we're human beings and we can take a, take a, a run at yeah. stuff. Nice, nice. Uh, I have the final question. Uh, uh, let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do today to learn more about product management? Well, I definitely would look probably at some for free online information. In other words, online uh, articles, blogs, or LinkedIn posts and, and YouTube videos and things like that, because there's a lot of very high quality product management guidance out there. Probably think even like free courses, like at a Coursera, there's probably some, especially if you want to get the basics so you know the language of it, because you know with the job, there's being able to do it. And then there's being able to talk the talk and, and sound like you know how to do it. And, and it shouldn't, that second part maybe shouldn't matter as much, but it does matter because it's how people recognize 
that they trust that you understand the you know the details of the job. So a certain amount of like reading on the, reading the books or taking the classes to learn the jargon and the words is is valuable. But um, uh, the the other way to get experience, I think, is to to actually try to make a product. In other words, this could be a small thing you want to do, like try to put an app in the app store or make an Android app. Or and that doesn't mean all by yourself. Find an engineer to build an idea for you. Find a designer to design something for you. You know, figure out if your idea that you always wanted to make actually is something other people have. Maybe you don't have anything like that, but help somebody who's who says I always always wanted to make an app or a product. Say, oh, let me try to help you do it, um, because that's a way to give yourself ex experience and actually figure out which parts of that uh, you know you're good at or that you need to learn more about. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay, Christian, it's a big pleasure to get you on my show, to learn from you. You share a lot of value. Tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Sure, probably you can you can visit my site, designinproduct.com. Uh, if you're interested in the subject of, 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 of user experience design or product management, um, you can find links there to my book. Um, and uh, that's probably the easiest way to, to stay in touch, yeah. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Uh, it's a big pleasure. And guys, you need to follow Christian. You need to learn from him. You need to read his book because you could see a lot of valuable insights. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.